Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson. Michael Brunt says I am every single Thursday. Actually, I don't know. Sometimes we switch it up. I missed the last podcast. Sometimes BC's out. Sometimes Brunt's is out. Who knows? Usually you're getting two out of the three of us. Most of the times it's it's going to be uh, three out of three. Is that fair? Yeah, we usually all show up. Uh, pretty good attendance. Not we're, we were. Ne- I don't. I was not an A student, so you wouldn't expect me to be here all the time. Um, and I'm and I'm not. Yeah, I think if you get two out of three, that's not bad. I mean, Meatloaf yeah. said that. I think, but uh, we're we're good. On, we're usually good for th- for all three. Well done. Well done. All right. What's uh, so it's something you guys didn't get a chance to really dive into? The last podcast, Nebraska added to their 2021 class in two different ways. They added Jalen Weaver, defensive lineman from Antioch, California, a six foot eight, 280 pound defender. That is a uh, intriguing, I think, developmental piece on the defensive line. And then the other addition that actually came on Friday night, Jalen Weaver committed on Saturday on Halloween and on Friday. Which Bruns is that a new holiday that Nebraska has picked up a commitment on? Yeah, I don't. I can't think of one in the past that they've done Halloween. We've had Christmas. I think somebody didn't a basketball player commit on Thanksgiving a couple of years well, ago. King Frazier walked on on Thanksgiving or committed his committed to walking on on Thanksgiving. But I, I do think you're right that there was a basketball player. I want to say it was a guy. Uh, he's in the 2021 class. The, uh, the it's Kisei Tamanaga. He yeah. knows him, right? Yep. And then. Um, we had Andrew Ward on Christmas. I'm sure we've had a New Year's Day. Though I can't think of who it is off the top of my head. Um, I know there's a 4th yep. of July a couple commitments in there. Uh, Latrell Neville Freedom. recently. Freedom. And Monte Harrison was a 4th of July commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Any other holiday that, that I'm forgetting here? You covered most of them. I can't. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you if there's like a May Day commitment or something. So, um, what I liked. What I liked about it is that uh, I, I think our buddy Steve Wilfong actually broke the thing, didn't he? I mean, it was like it. It felt like a old school like breaking of a commitment. It wasn't your usual. Oh, the guy tweeted it out, or maybe I missed that. Yeah, you're right. And actually, BC there has been a May Day commitment. <laughs> okay. Patrick Payton committed on May first. <laughs> see, and that was so recently, and I just overlooked that it was – I didn't see the significance of why he picked that day, May Day, of course. Well, that, uh, that'll happen. That'll happen. All right. So let's, let's jump into this a little bit. Chris Kolarovic is, I think, a really interesting guy. He joined the recruiting hour on Monday, and he just sounded like a linebacker, which I know seems like a dumb statement to make. But I'm telling you, some of these guys just sound – uh, when you talk to them, they just sound like the position that they end up playing if you've been doing this job long yeah. enough. And, and that's what Chris Kolarovic was to me. BC, he's the guy that's that's going to get on the field the first between these two players. What do you like about Nebraska going out using a spot on a grad transfer linebacker? Um, I, like, I like that he's a guy who's – has some success in his background like he's get I like guys who sometimes they have it on their resume you know I know it's a different level of football but um you know like guys who have been productive and shown um 
they they at this level can uh, can make a bunch of plays, make a bunch of tackles. And you're right, he does sound like a linebacker. I picture like a neck roll on him, like in 1987. Like he would be in a great. It would be the name of somebody in like an 80s uh, football movie. Um, so I so I think that's all all good. But yeah, I mean, let's see, what did he do last year? He had 65 tackles. Um, then he had the foot injury his sophomore year. Um, I, I just, I think you, you look at what he's done. He's 6'1", 230. Um, he fits the 3-4 well. There's a lot of things to like about him just sort of merging into what they've got going at that second level, uh, which I think is looking up a little bit. I think, uh, you know, the with, with some of the guys they've got, but you've got to replace some guys too that are seniors. So uh, he's going to need to step up and be a part of it right away. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, between the two years, they were both injury shortened, but he had like somewhere around 140 tackles. He uh, he basically said that he just wants to wanted to, to go to a school where he was going to feel comfortable and where he could play football. And he feels like he's going to bring someone that just flies to the ball. And you look at the highlights of him and you look at the production and that's kind of what Nebraska wants out of their middle linebackers. They want guys that just fly to the ball and, and can help make plays. And so Kolarovic will slide in and you mentioned this. I mean, you lose Will Honus, you lose Colin Miller potentially. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen because it's a weird right. year. You guys don't have, you know, the, the same sort of situation they normally do in their, their senior season. But you expect maybe that both of those guys move on. Brunt's having somebody like Kolarovic that can slide in there and you still have Luke Reimer. We'll see where Nick Henrich is going to be lined up. It gives you some extra time to develop some of those inside linebackers that you have recruited. Uh, what, what did you make of the Chris Kolarovic move? Yeah, it was interesting because – you know, you, you look at the way that that depth chart kind of is now. Um, you know, you, you obviously have some veteran guys, uh, you know, in Miller and, and Honus who are going to have another year. Um, you know, you, you're kind of moving Henrik around uh, to different spots, um, you know, based on need. Uh, Garrett Snodgrass is in there too. You, you like what you have in Luke Reimer. And, you know, Nebraska's – linebacker class in 2021 those guys seem like to me prospects that are going to need a couple of years and that's where you know having a guy that has two years of eligibility that's been very productive he's almost kind of like a bridge uh between the the younger guys and, and kind of where they're at now with the veterans so it gives you some flexibility in your depth chart it allows you to um you know, really kind of dig in and develop guys. And that's something that this staff says they really want to do. So, uh, you know, it was, it came as a surprise, but I think also too, it's going to be, you know, just one example of how Nebraska is going to try to add guys in this class, because it is going to be such a unique year with uh, COVID and also, uh, you know, junior colleges playing in the spring and, and, you know, other FCS um, programs also playing in the spring too. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, you know, for him, the big thing is once it was announced he wasn't going to be able to play this fall, then he realized that he could have two years to, to kind of move things in the direction of playing at a major program. He threw his name in. He didn't want to get into who was all looking at him, but it did seem like he had some other options. And I think Nebraska's connections, again, they paid off with Travis Vokalek. Uh Their connections with that Northern Iowa staff and certainly made them um, – feel comfortable with Chris Kolarovic. And then I think he learned about it 
after talking with Eric Shenander. And so uh, I think that's going to be a nice addition. You know, we started a little bit on Jalen Weaver. I'm curious what you guys think of this. I look at him at six foot eight, 280 pounds, a guy that when I watch the film, he looks a little awkward at times because I think he's still getting used to how big he is. I just look at this as someone that Tony Tuioti wants to get into a system, take a little time to develop and, and just kind of let him grow as a player uh, without the, the necessity that he has to be a Ty Robinson and play in his second year. How do you guys kind of feel about how I size that up? I think, I think you're probably accurate with that. I feel like he's a little bit of a raw uh, recruit from what I've read and heard about him. Um, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert inside and out on him, but I, I love the size. Um, you know, what is he six, eight, two eighty? I mean, that's a, that's, that's power forward basketball type. I think we described him in one of our stories. I mean, that's, that's uh, impressive. I think if you can get some other guys, this is where you want to get sort of a system in place where like, you know, Mosai Newsom, for example, is a guy who maybe he's not going to be involved this year, but you'd like to see him take that step where he's part of the rotation next year. Um, and then this may, maybe somebody like Weaver is kind of figuring it out next year when he gets here. And then a year or two after that, he's involved. So where you sort of get this, this deal where it's, it's, it's feeding off of, uh, each other where you, a, a guy develops and then another guy behind the scene is is doing the same thing to be ready the next year so uh, hopefully that's what they can get going yeah brunch what do you kind of think about what nebraska has been doing with with their defensive line recruiting yeah i mean well there's been a lot of hand-wringing about it right um you know i, I think they've got a chance to close pretty strong um with, with those group with with that group just kind of based on some of the guys they're in on. I mean, they're down to pretty limited spots anyways. But, um, you know, I, I think they've done a pretty nice job of identifying guys that really fit the 3-4 up front. And, you know, the 3-4 is a tough it, – it's, it's a tough defense to recruit to. And when you have a guy that's athletic at 6'8", 280, and that's, that's not like a – that's not a huddle height and weight either. I mean, that, that's pretty close to what he uh, checked in at at a recent event. So, you know, that, that's a, a good kind of canvas to start with um, if you're Tony Tuioti. And, you know, he, he's done, I think, a pretty nice job of, of kind of quietly rebuilding that room. Not only him, but, but also Eric Schnander. Uh, you know, Ryan Held's even been involved with some of the JUCO guys. So it's, uh, I think that's probably an arrow up position group for me. I, I think they've got some, some guys that you can really uh, are going to be able to count on uh, for multiple years there. It's too yeah. early to say that it, it's too early to say this, but does this remind you a little bit of, it was actually the class with miles farmer, the 2019 class with, with like farmer, Newsom, Pola Gates, there was a lot of hand wringing, going on about the defensive back uh, recruiting and how it was coming together in that class. I remember there was like, when are they going to get some guys? And then it all, you know, kind of pops and folds together and pull gates announces at the all-star game he's in too. And then everybody's like, Oh, that actually looked pretty good at the end of it. And I'm just saying, we don't know how this is going to end up with the D line guys, but it, it is a reminder that patience is a virtue and, uh, sometimes at the very end of it, you know, you're like, oh, that, that actually, they, they got two or three guys that, that, that fit what they need. And so I, I think that that's, this is a good time to take stock of that, you know, Tuioti 
might have something working here down the stretch. Let's just see what happens. I think the other thing that happens sometimes is people get really locked in on what our guys doing on the recruiting trail and they want to measure it against everybody else in the staff. And I think with Tony Tuioti, what he was trying to do is he's trying to go get some West coast players and bring them to a program that hasn't won a lot of games, isn't particularly successful. And in some of these situations, you're trying to bring Polynesian players to a pretty underdeveloped Polynesian program. And so uh, I, it, it was always a little bit about laying the groundwork. I mean, I, I've gone back and I've pointed this out. One of the first conversations I had with him about recruiting was his attempt to go into Hawaii. And he basically said at that time, like, look, it's not about, and this was the 2020 class, it's not about the 2020 class. It's about if I can get a guy in 2021 and then get two guys in 2022. And then all of a sudden Nebraska is kind of a known quantity in recruiting Hawaii. And so you look at Wyndon Hohuli where Nebraska has a couple crystal balls coming in from the likes of Steve Wilfong and Blair Angulo and, and Brandon Huffman. I think that that is a, you know, kind of a sign that, that Tony Tuioti knew you had to lay the groundwork for something far beyond just the 2020 class or potentially even the 2021 class. And so the work he's doing out West, if they are able to pull a Tia Savea and you, maybe you had Josh Simmons or, or, you know, Wyndon Hohuli, and then those guys have success or they get back and they talk in their communities. All has to kind of build on each other sometimes. And I think that's what Tony Tuioti has been doing. I think he's a really good coach in terms of, you know, the stuff happening on the field. Like, I think he's he's a pretty good technical coach. I thought Nebraska's defensive line looked good against Ohio State. We'll see how they are against Northwestern. I thought they played better last year with Tuioti than they had, you know, the year before even with Mike Dawson. And so I, I just think he's a guy that brings a lot of value. And I know there was a lot of disappointment that he hadn't brought in these defensive linemen yet. But if if the dam breaks, so to speak, I mean, I think he could be a pretty helpful guy on the recruiting trail moving forward. Do you guys have any uh, – Well any said. I, well well said. Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you hit on it. I mean, and it's – he's kind of up against it too a little bit more, I think, because, you know, he's recruiting the West Coast. He's recruiting Hawaii, um, you know, and, and not being able to get out um, for, for basically a year. Uh, that's tough. I, and I know, that, I know that other coaches are dealing with that too, but – I think when you're Tony Tuioti and you're trying to get reestablished, you know, on the West coast and you have to a little bit, uh, you know, Nebraska, you know, kind of took a few years off of, of being a regular presence out there. So, um, you know, he, he's, he'll get it done. I think he's a good, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good recruiter. I just think it's, uh, you know, maybe took a little bit more to click um, with, with some of the, the recruiting stuff, largely because of uh, things are kind of out of his control right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. You guys, you sort of look at this 2021 group, you throw in uh, Kolarovic. Is there another, you know, position that you fully expect? I think that Nebraska is going to take another defensive lineman. But then after that, I really think we're sort of in best player available. Where, where else would you really sort of look for Nebraska to try to add another player as you size up that 2021 group? Either one of you. Yeah, I, think yeah, I mean, I – Go ahead, Burns. I, I I think on defense still. I mean, I think if you can find, um, you know, maybe a difference maker as a pass rusher or, so, or something like that, I think that's probably 
where I would tend to look. You know, I, I think defensive back, they're probably fine there. Um, you know, I, I do think it would be smart for Nebraska to hold back a couple scholarships at least because of what's, what's going to be kind of coming down the road, um, you know, in the spring. So I'll be curious to see how close they get to a full class uh, when they go and, and sign everybody in December. Because I, I just think teams that, uh, you know, have a few extra spots at their disposal are going to be sitting pretty good in the spring whenever it's kind of free agency season. Yeah, I think I think Brown's nailed it with that point because um, college football's already become very much like that, where there's going to be just a, a great movement in the off season. But especially after this year, I just think there's going to be all sorts of guys out there. And so, if if you use up all your slots, you're not you're not thinking very wisely. And we've we've seen this staff uh, they they like that free agency game. They like to you know, pick and choose some, some guys who they could, they could add that are transfers that could maybe fit in a piece. They just, you know, basically did it last week. So um, I, I expect they'll, they'll keep a few slots open um, knowing that especially this off season, it's going to be very active and there's going to be a lot of different opportunities to add interesting pieces. Has there been uh, a player or two that you've, you kind of followed in this class that, has had a nice senior season or anything that, that has stood out to you? Anything that, that's popped up that you've seen kind of either through coverage, whether it's ours or anything on Twitter, Brunts? Uh, I mean, Kobe Bretz, I think, has proven um, this fall why he had that Nebraska scholarship offer. Um, you know, I, I think there was probably not some question about it, but, you know, for, for people who kind of casually follow things, um, you know, the, that might've been a little bit of a surprise that, that he was offered and, and accepted, but I, I think he's had a great senior season, um, for, for Westside. I think he's shown that, that he's an athlete, um, with, with his play on both sides of the ball. And I, I think he's a guy that depending on how much weight you can put on him when he gets to Lincoln could be an effective, um, you know, kind of big nickel or, or outside linebacker. So, I, I've been impressed uh, with, with what I've seen from him um, so far. I wouldn't say it's based, this opinion is based off of their senior seasons, but I, I am very intrigued and like Ladarius Webb Jr. and Malik Williams as a couple of guys who not everybody pays attention to, but I sort of have that in Travis, you trust. Uh, theory with I, I I just think Travis Fisher knows exactly what he wants. Um, he loves the length that those guys possess at their position, and you know I've seen a you know like Ladarius had a, a highlight you know of a, a kick return the other day where he ran away from some people and it, it just you know showed he's a great athlete. Um, obviously a son of a former NFL player, so I think those are two guys who will not get talked as much about on signing day, but guys who I could expect would jump into the mix pretty quickly and be competitors like we're seeing right now with Lynham and, uh, you know, Ronald Delancey are, are both like getting mentioned and, you know, uh, Lynham was not a guy who was the most sought after recruit in the country, but he's a guy who came here with a purpose and determined and now he's in the mix. So I, I think those are two guys that are going to be interesting. Yeah, the, the name for me is Sean Hardy. I, I really think that he's had some nice catches. I mean, he's not putting up monster monster numbers but he's had I think around 500 yards in in eight games and has been a productive player for his team down in Camden County 
in Georgia. And so I, I think Sean Hardy's one of those guys that he committed early enough. He's quiet enough. People might forget a little bit. And then you see some of these highlights from his senior year and he's had, you know, a, a really nice go of it. And obviously, you know, Thomas Fedoni has been incredible, but we've, we've kind of become a little bit numb to just how good he's been. Uh, but, you know, a guy like Sean Hardy could help Nebraska uh, pretty quickly. And so he's, he's got to obviously get to Lincoln and then learn the offense and everything else. But that's a guy that, you know, you hope if he takes a year to red shirt, he, he's got those four games that maybe by the end of his freshman year, he could be out on the field and helping to contribute. So I, I like that wide receiver room in this class um, quite a bit. And Sean Hardy just continues to, to kind of stand out to me out of that group. So I wanted to, to mention him. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into what the Nebraska assistants were saying. Eric Shenander spoke. I believe Greg, Oz, Greg Austin spoke. Travis Fisher talked. Uh, those guys spoke on Wednesday. So we'll catch up with Brunson, BC, and, and see what they had to say. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we are back from break. I mentioned this. Nebraska assistant spoke the other day. Uh, what, what BC did you learn from Travis Fisher, who's got a little bit of a shorthanded group to start on Saturday? I don't think he's sweating it. Um, I mean, obviously, they wish Deontay and uh, Cam Taylor-Britt were out there from the get-go, but I think there is a lot of belief in, uh, in Miles Farmer um, and Quentin Newsom and Noah Pola Gates may pop up. Isaac Gifford is even a name. Uh, we've heard about who's been working on special teams where, you know, maybe, maybe he gets some role. Um, so my feeling, Bruns, um, is that they're not – I mean, this isn't a deal where, oh, what are we going to do without these two guys for a half? I, I mean, I really feel like they think those young players are to the point in their career where it's time to, it's time to see if they can swim in a role like this. Don't, isn't that what you kind of got the other day? Yeah, it it, uh, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, when, when Braxton Clark was kind of thrown into the mix last year at Purdue. I mean, they, they weren't really I, – I don't think they were sweating that um, and, and, and kind of what he uh, had to do that day. So I think Travis Fisher even said, you know, they, they've been looking for opportunities to get these young guys, you know, meaningful snaps. And they're – very high on both of those guys and, and, and what their potential is uh, in the program long-term. So, you know, I, I think they feel like they're ready. I mean, they're, they're on both on the two deep for a reason. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton of concern on Travis Fisher's part there that either of those guys are going to be, um, you know, kind of awed by, you know, what they're going to see. It probably even helps too that, uh, you know, it's, 
you know, a, a road game in an empty stadium. So they should be able to handle things pretty easily, I think. Did you? Yeah, I mean, Eric Chenander said about Miles Farmer in particular, he is what we are looking for when we recruited those guys. I mean, I, so I think those guys have totally lived up to what they thought they were getting when they're after him on the trail. And uh, now it's time to just show it. The, the other coaches we heard from, we, we heard from Greg Austin, um, who's always an interesting uh, interview. What did you make of his comments about some of the younger offensive linemen that played against Ohio State? We saw a lot of Ethan Piper, obviously Bryce Benhart, but he, he also, you know, mentioned Turner Corcoran and, and you know, the, the stuff that he did. But do you, do you get the sense that that rotation with the young guys is not going to be limited to just a couple games but something they're going to do the entire year? Yeah, well, with, with Piper, definitely. I mean, Ethan Piper is now part of this. And um, he, Greg Austin, he didn't mean it as overhyped when he said it, but he did let it slip out of his, you know, that, hey, we think Ethan can be like an all-conference, one of the better players there is and on the offensive line in college football in the country. He said that. I mean, I think they think he's got like all an all-conference type ceiling. Um, and – uh, I, I get where they're coming from. He's a great athlete who did it on both sides of the ball in, in high school and did everything in high school off the field too, and he was very successful. He's just one of those guys you put a challenge in front of him, he meets it. And so I think there's no fear about putting Ethan Piper out there, as they did in the second quarter against Ohio State, and he was out there. His first drive was that 11-play, 78-yard march that looked really, really good. Now, it wasn't like he was just – pancaking guys that entire series or anything he had good plays and bad plays during his time in there but you didn't notice a drop off and I think it's good for Bo Wilson I don't want to ride Bo Wilson off into the sunset here he's going to be an important part of this this deal and uh, I think is going to have to still come up with some big snaps for this team but it is nice for a change that it's not just talk we always hear about well We'd love to be able to rotate, but then it gets to the season and they, they don't feel like they can. And now you actually feel like they actually – they believe it this year. They can actually do that with like maybe seven or eight guys, uh, you know, getting key snaps. The, the other thing that I thought was, you know, kind of telling, I guess, from, from you know, the, the conversation that, that Austin had yesterday. I mean, they, they really like – um, you know, kind of what that picture looks like long term, and we and we knew that that they feel like some of those young guys in the program had the potential to to be very good. They obviously feel really great about Bryce Benhart, the the Ethan Piper thing that you mentioned. I that kind of caught my ear uh, as well. Um, that uh, that that was the case. So. You put those guys around Cam Jurgens. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they, they obviously like what Turner Corcoran could be long term behind uh, Hymas at, at tackle. So you have to like. I, I think if you're if you're kind of betting on down the line, say two three years from now, which position group is going to be, or at least have the potential to be truly dominant for Nebraska. I think it's that offensive line. I, I think I would put them ahead of about everybody right now in that category. You know what's nice? They've given themselves some space, I feel like, where 
there's been years past where it seems like recruits come in and by the second or third year, you're like, man, this guy's got to produce for this team now or else it's, it's looking thin. And that doesn't feel like that's the situation at this point. Cause look at the last recruiting class that, that Piper and Ben Hart are in. I mean, there's still some guys we haven't really heard from yet, you know, like Michael Lynn and Jimmy Fritchie and Matthew Anderson. And I mean, there's some guys who, um, they might be in the mix in a year or two. They might not, but I feel like they've they have enough bodies right now that we're that everybody's not gripping so hard. Like, man, when's Michael Lynn gonna get on? You know, like he's got to be ready tomorrow. You know, and I think that's a good place to be, where you actually have enough depth that some guys who aren't going to be quite as ready right off the bat, they get that extra year or two. Because I think O line is a spot in particular where there are times where there is a guy who he's just not ready for like three years and then he's a fourth year junior and suddenly he's a solid player for you. And I don't give up on guys like that, but at least now you give those type of players time to get to that space where they can be that. All right, gentlemen, we are going to save our thoughts on Nebraska Northwestern until the hype cast, which will be on Friday. Uh, I want you to be thinking of your oddly specific predictions uh, I want you to be thinking of random players from Northwestern that could surprise. We're going to get into all of that on Friday. We're going to have a special guest again, and uh, we'll reveal that on the show. We'll let the person out themselves there. Uh, any, any closing thoughts today as we inch closer to another game for Nebraska? We're going to hear from Scott Frost here momentarily uh, about, you know, kind of where they're, the, the final, final uh, thoughts heading into Northwestern. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brass Northwestern. It, it's, it's always got to be close. Big game. It's a big game. And uh, if Nebraska can win this and turn, I think it's a, it can allow them to maybe turn a corner. Um, so uh, they just got to get out of their own way to do it, I think. All right. The story of Nebraska football, can they get out of their own way? We'll dive mm-hmm. more into this game in the hype cast. We will catch everybody then. And uh, before then, you can check out everything Scott Frost has to say at Husker 24-7. And uh, we'll see you real soon. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.